Well, good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 32. In just a minute, I will read this psalm and pray. But before I do that, I want to ask you a question. You know, earlier in the service, uh, you had the opportunity to confess your sins silently. Um, what went through your mind? Do you remember what you were thinking at that moment? Is it an awkward moment for you when we do that in our service, or is it a meaningful one? You're probably glad that no one in this room can read your mind during that time. Um, I am. Um, let's go a little deeper with this question. What's the worst sin that you have ever committed? What's the one thing that you've done that you feel ashamed about? As you look back in the history of your life, for some of you, maybe nothing comes to mind. If you're young, maybe that's true. Or if you just don't think about it much, that may be true as well. But for others of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe there are several things that you've done that you feel ashamed about. You know, shame is a very, very intense and powerful emotion. And with shame will come regrets. It's painful. But before I read from Psalm 32, uh, let me remind you of what Jesus said about the woman who was known as a sinner, who anointed Jesus' feet with perfume and wiped his feet with her tears. It's recorded in Luke chapter 7, verse 47. He says, For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Think about the sins which you've committed as I read Psalm 32. The joy of forgiveness, Psalm of David, a mass skill. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my, my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give counsel. Do not be like a horse or mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle or else it will not come near you. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, 
you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is God's holy and inspired word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we're coming to a text this morning that is so, so meaningful, so personal, so um, insightful. It speaks to our hearts. We need your spirit to open our minds and to drill this truth into our hearts. In whatever way you choose, Father, we pray that you would use it in the lives of all of us this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You know, this morning I'm grateful to be able to teach from this psalm. Um, there's lessons to be learned here that are essential for your spiritual and emotional health. Um, there are lessons that I have had to learn in my life, uh, confessedly, admittedly, at times, the hard way. The hard way. And yet... There are lessons here that um, I think about almost daily, if not weekly, in the context of my counseling office uh, with the people that I talk to. I just used Psalm 32 last week with uh, an individual who was deeply struggling. Main point of Psalm 32, you'll see on the screen, let me read it to you. It's actually printed in the notes of your bulletin, so you don't have to copy it down. You can just take your bulletin with you if you want. Here's the main point. The joy of being forgiven of our sins makes suffering with unconfessed sin not worth it. Once we learn these lessons, we're to share them with others. And this leads all of us to worship God with joy. So as you look at this text up here, let me just uh, work through it again with you. Um, the joy of being forgiven of our sins. That's the theme of this psalm. You're going to get that through this whole psalm, that there is tremendous joy that comes when you truly get it in your heart that you are forgiven of your sins. But it goes on to talk about this misery that David was in, this physical problem that he had, this emotional turmoil, this anguish, this pain that he was in, uh, which when you look at it, you say, boy, that was not worth it. Why did I have to go through that exactly? That's the point. And once we learn these lessons, we're then to share them with others. You know, the, the biblical obligation that we have is that when God teaches us these truths, we openly talk about it with others in the body of Christ or among our families or with people we know that can benefit from it. And when we get it, this really leads us to worship God with joy. So look at the uh, first point that we have uh, from verses 1 and 2, the joy of our sins being forgiven. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit is no deceit. You notice that he mentioned joyful twice. <laughs> Repetition really is to get it, you know? We really should be joyful about uh, being forgiven. In the uh, CSB, they translate the word here, joyful, um, but uh, in chapter 1, it's actually translated happy. 
So I'm not sure what got them to translate this one, joyful, and they translated it in other places, happy, but there's an emotion with it, right? There's a sense of, of exuberance or joy or happiness that comes with this word. Uh, in the ESV, it's typically translated blessed. That's a more traditional word. It's the one that I'm familiar with. I probably prefer that word. Uh, blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. It's interesting that uh, if you go all the way back to Psalm 1, uh, it starts out. Uh, again, CSB says, how happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Again, this is the blessed one described in Psalm 1, who is a righteous one, who is a godly one. It's a person who meditates on the scripture day and night. It's a person who, who is fruitful in his life because he's planted by the streams of water. Uh, he doesn't do what the things are, are reported of among the wicked. Uh, he is a godly, righteous a uh, person who is blessed. God's blessing is on him. The next time the psalmist uses the word blessed in this collection of psalms is Psalm 32. Isn't it interesting? So Psalm 1 is the blessed righteous one. Psalm 32 is the blessing of a forgiven one. Hmm. Which one are you? Are you the righteous one of Psalm 1, living in the Word of God, meditating on it day and night and being fruitful? Or are you the one in Psalm 32 that needs your sins forgiven and is grateful for that? I'd like to think you'd be both, right? Fully acknowledging, I need forgiveness fully endeavoring to live according to the law of the Lord. Both. Not one or the other. You know, it's interesting. We'll talk about joy as we go through the psalm, particularly toward the end. Uh, but there's interesting uh, repetition of words here in this section. Uh, the first has to do with, uh, with our sin problem. Uh, first uses the word transgression. Uh, transgression is a word for rebellion. It describes a willful act of disobedience when you know it's, what you're doing is wrong and you choose to do what's wrong and you are being rebellious. Ever been like that? Transgression. The word sin in uh, verse 1. The most common Hebrew word for wrongdoing, it's often thought of in terms of missing the mark. So a few weeks ago, I had a chance to go to a gun range with some friends of mine, and as I held the gun out and shot at a target, every time I missed the target, I sinned, you know? I missed the target. I missed the mark. Uh, and I was trying my best, but, uh, you know, it's the first time I've ever held, held a gun in my hands, so... Um, but uh, that's the way sin is. Uh, we just don't get it right, and we often end up going astray. We often get off track. We often deviate from the path, and we often sin. And the third word he uses here is the word iniquity. It's probably the strongest of the three words. It means corruption or perversion. Uh, you could think of it in terms of evil. 
And so the person here uh, has transgression, sin, and iniquity that needs to be dealt with. And it's dealt with in uh, three ways, as mentioned here. Uh, the first is the word forgiven, which means that the burden of sin is lifted up, it's carried up. Uh, it's a wonderful feeling when it's lifted off your shoulders and the burden no, no longer is um, heavy. Um, you're forgiven. Second word is covered. The, the covered here means to hide or cover something offensive. It's a significant word as you study your Bible for the atonement and the covering that comes uh, through the blood of Christ. We're not only forgiven, but our sin is covered. And then the third word is to not charge. It says the Lord does not charge with iniquity. The legal term, not to be charged with an offense, not going to be held against you. The charge has been removed. Now, there's an additional word here for sin. Uh, at the bottom of verse 2 talks about in whose spirit is no deceit. Deceit, of course, is falsehood. It's hypocrisy. It's pretending something that's not true. You know, earlier in the service, uh, in our reading, we saw that uh, Paul quotes these verses in Romans chapter 4. Let me read, read again what he says in verse 6. Just as David, he's referring to this psalm, Psalm 32, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes the, the, the uh, psalm. Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the person the Lord will never charge with sin. Now, in the context of the book of Romans, it's very clear that he's talking about imputed righteousness, a righteousness that is imputed to us, and so we're declared righteous. It's a positional truth apart from works. And again, in this passage, he says that one whose faith is credited for righteousness, he's declared righteous, he did nothing to deserve it. William MacDonald says it this way, Paul's intent is to show that justification was by faith apart from works, even in the Old Testament period. Notice the passage that you heard earlier refers to Abraham in the Old Testament, it also refers to David. But the proof lies not so much in what David says as in what he does not say. He is not speaking about a righteous man who earns or deserves salvation. He is talking about a sinner who has been forgiven. He makes no mention of works in describing the blessedness of the forgiven man. Through the Holy Spirit, Paul deduces from this that David is describing the happiness of the one to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works altogether. End of quote. So it's clear in Paul's letter to the Romans that it's because of the shed blood of Christ on the cross that we receive the forgiveness of sin. Romans 5.8 says it this way, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Now, it's essential that we see that saving faith, that is faith and trust in Christ and what he did for us on the cross and his shed blood, 
as well as repentance for one's sins, that's true saving faith. They go together. So we repent and we believe, or we believe and repent. Uh, it's a both and, not an either or. According to Martin Luther, he considered the greatest of the Psalms, the Psalmi Paulini, which means Pauline Psalms. He considered these to be Psalm 32, Psalm 51, Psalm 130, Psalm 143, which are all penitential psalms. Of course, Scripture does not attach these psalms to the Apostle Paul, but you can see why Luther said this because of the way Paul quotes this psalm in Romans 4. It's a positional truth. We're credited righteousness by faith in him. Now, the context of, of Psalm 32, the history of it, is very, very important to understand. Many of the commentaries I read, and I've looked at a lot of them uh, for this sermon, uh, they both, almost all of them agree that Psalm 32 was written by David after he wrote Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 has in it, you can look at it on your own sometime, it's really worth spending some time in. Psalm 51 has in it the very beginning says a psalm of David when the prophet Nathan came to him after he had gone to Bathsheba. So Psalm 51 mentions David's sin with Bathsheba. You may know the story uh, recorded in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. Uh, David was on top of his palace looking out over his kingdom uh, while his troops were out on the battlefield. Uh, it was at night, maybe he couldn't sleep, and he got up there and he was on top of his palace and looking out over the city, and he was able to see a woman bathing uh, in her privacy, she thought, but he could see her from where he was. Her name is Bathsheba. And so he um, arranged to have her brought up to his palace. He committed adultery. She got pregnant, so he ended up having her husband, Uriah, killed in battle. Then he married her. Several months later, she had a baby. After the baby's born, the prophet Nathan comes to him and confronts him about his sin. You can read this in 2 Samuel chapter 12. David repents of this sin, and he writes his words down in Psalm 51. And Psalm 32 was written afterwards about the joy of being forgiven. So Psalm 51 is his repentance psalm. Psalm 32 is his joy of being forgiven psalm. What's so striking about Psalm 32 is this next verse. You see, David acknowledges that there were many, many months in which he did not confess his sin. Leads us to point number two, the internal struggle of unconfessed sin. 
Verse 3, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. David was miserable. Talks about bones being brittle. What does that feel like, you know? Talks about groaning. The Hebrew word here is actually the word roaring. One commentator says it's like he's screaming. It's that intense. The pain was unbearable. The hand of God was heavy on him. His strength was drained. He was miserable. And we don't know for sure if he was suffering from a physical problem at that time. It seemed to use language that's very physical. Uh, it is the kind of thing where the emotions are such that the body begins to feel that pain. We may call it psychosomatic. You know, there's this mind-body connection. You know, I just want to take a moment and acknowledge um, physical pain, medical issues. Uh, about a year ago, uh, I began to experience some pretty intense medical problems, and then I had to have surgery uh, toward the end of summer, and I had a horrible time of trying to recover from that. And there were times when I was saying to myself, is this because of my sin? You know, God, did you do this to me because of my sin? I came down with dizziness and vertigo, and I had all kinds of interesting experiences situation. I will not talk about it, but, um, but you know, um, and I'm actually doing well today, so just praise the Lord for that. But I want to acknowledge that oftentimes when you have medical issues, it just is so anguishing, isn't it? And, and probably most of the time we would say it's not due to sin. You know, some person who comes down with cancer not due to their sin. Uh, Jesus said that in the New Testament, that uh, medical issues are often not because of sin. But the Bible actually does talk about occasions where sin does lead to physical problems. And so that's what we may have here. David was miserable. Selah. Selah is a word that uh, we see in our Bibles that we don't know the meaning of. Um, it means to pause. Sometimes we're not sure why it's inserted where it is. I think it may be inserted here on purpose. Selah. David, how long are you going to go through this? Selah. How long are you going to deal with this internal struggle of unconfessed sin? Then verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Wow. You know, in the Hebrew, there are eight lines to describe the weight of his sin again he uses all three words, his iniquity, his transgressions, his sin. All three words are mentioned there. He finally admits it. In eight lines, he describes the misery of it. And all of a sudden, we see four words to describe the release. You forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Hallelujah. Intense relief. 
Something really bad was going on in David's life, and he had this foreboding sense of dread, and all of a sudden he experiences relief. You know, uh, relief, I think, is probably perhaps the most powerful and enjoyable emotion of all. I don't know if you've ever had a really dreadful situation that you were really anxious about, and all of a sudden it disappears, and you just feel this incredible release. Wow, oh, that's good. It's gone. You know, these uh, verses in Psalm 32 reminds me of another passage. It's in uh, Proverbs 28, verse 13. It says, The one who conceals his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. As long as you conceal your sin, you will not make any progress in your life. Certainly won't make any progress in regard to the sin problem. But when you confess it and when you renounce it or forsake it, then you will find mercy and compassion. A number of years ago, I preached a sermon called Secrets, preached from uh, this passage, Psalm 2813. And uh, um, I entitled it Secrets. Because so often people are walking around with secrets in their head that they've never really told anyone else about. Secret sins. You know, the kind of sins that you feel shame and guilt about and you don't want anybody else to know about. Uh, And this proverb says, as long as you cover it up, as long as you conceal it, as long as you never talk about it, you won't be able to deal with it appropriately. Um, You know, in my my work in the counseling uh, world, um, there was a time, so, so the vast majority of people I see in my office are not from this church, so don't be thinking about anybody in this church when I say this, but uh, with the larger population of Cincinnati that come to see me, there was a period of time, not that long ago, where I would say 80% of my clients struggled with infidelity. That's the problem David had with infidelity and murder, actually, on top of that. But uh, I've had to work with couples in terms of the issue of adultery or infidelity, of sexual sin, and help them through this process of bringing it into the light uh, and dealing with it. Um, You know, we're in a culture, as you heard from Ryan's uh, prayer, that is so saturated with sexual issues, and uh, and they're proud of it. Um, But in the Christian culture, we're ashamed of it, and we don't want to talk about it. Uh, In fact, uh, a sermon I preached a number of years ago, I entitled, I Don't Want to Talk About It. Now, um, do you know anybody like that? I don't want to talk about it. Okay, well, uh, I did actually in that sermon go through 1 John 1, which we looked at this morning in our service, talking about darkness and light. Again, it says in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. If we say we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar. David knew that experience. You know, he when he finally confessed his sin, perhaps... Oh, I don't know. You know, it takes nine months to have a baby, right? So it it was at least nine months before he confessed, before Nathan went and confronted him. And so he waited so long 
And so when he finally confessed in verse uh, chapter 51, uh, verse 6, he says, you desire integrity in the inner self. Exactly. You desire integrity in your inner self. Be honest with it and confess it and acknowledge it. You know, David is the author of at least half of the Psalms. So 150 Psalms, I'd say, I don't know the exact number, something like 75 of them were written by David. And he's a wonderful example for us of someone who confesses his sin, talks about it openly, and confesses his struggles, talks about it openly. You see that through a lot of the other Psalms. Uh, And I think we need to be a people like that. Only confessing, openly confessing our sins to the Lord is the only cure for a guilty conscience, self-deception person whose spirit is no deceit. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, I have a book that I'd like to commend to you. It's called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Rogop. Uh, and um, I was reading a section in the book uh, labeled Confessing Our Sins. Let me read a portion of this to you. Practicing lament can facilitate personal confession and a greater sensitivity to sin. Too often we may think of lament prayers as solely springing from external circumstances or the hurtful actions of others. But the brokenness of the world is the brokenness of sin in each of us. Even after we receive Jesus, we need to express sorrow to God for our sin. There'll be times when we reap what we've sown, Galatians 6, 7, and when our sin has proven costly, we can turn to the laments, and he mentions seven psalms here, Psalm 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, 143. So we can turn to laments like these psalms, which express deep regret. These penitential psalms help us know what to say to God about our sin while reaffirming hope for forgiveness and restoration. I think the message of Psalm 32 is the internal struggle of unconfessed sin is not worth it. You will be such a miserable person without confession You need to lance that boil. You need to get the pus out so you can experience healing. Which leads to the third point. Lessons learned to share with others. It's verses 6 through 11. He starts with the word, therefore. Very significant break in the psalm. The first five verses were together, and the second uh, five verses or six verses are together starts with the word, therefore. Uh, And the point here is David has learned some lessons now that he is now wanting to share with his audience. You know, um, because the Lord forgives sins, such forgiveness results in true happiness and rejoicing. That's worth sharing. That's worth talking about. That's worth teaching others. You know, you're going to feel so much better when you confess your sins and get right with God on this. One paraphrase says it this way. This is what I've learned through it all. 
One's personal testimony is a powerful way to communicate truth. David's own experience that I've talked about this morning gives us lessons for us to learn. You know, in, in Psalm 51, in verse 12, <clears throat> he says, Restore the joy of your salvation to me. Sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. So David uses his personal testimony, his personal experience, as a way of saying, these are the things that I've learned that I want to share with you. And he goes on and recites a whole bunch of them. You know, uh, Augustine was uh, one of the earliest church fathers, uh, and he said that Psalm 32 was his favorite psalm. Uh, he had it inscribed on the wall next to his bed before he died in order to meditate on it often. He liked it because, as he said, the beginning of knowledge is to know oneself to be a sinner. Even at the end of his life, he was reminding himself that he is a sinner and delighted in God's forgiveness. The lesson that he learned and our own personal experience about our dealing with sin can be a lesson that others can learn from as well. So he goes on in verse 6, Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. Don't wait like David did. You know, the, the, uh, the, the language of that phrase sometimes is translated, while you may be found. Rogop, in his uh, book, says this. Lament reminds us that even the small expressions of our wayward hearts, those regular and respectable, in quotes, sins, are serious. Rather than limiting the potential penitential psalms to major moral failure, like the one with David and uh, Bathsheba, we can use the weight of lament to lead us to sensitivity to sin we might be inclined to ignore or neglect. That's why every week we have a moment of confession in our service. Don't wait on that. Acknowledge your sin. Pray to the Lord immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. When, it, when the... When the, the the wall is broken between you and God, and you're reconnected to him. There's wonderful joy of relief from unconfessed sin, but there's also a wonderful sense of a relationship with him that even in the midst of the storms of life, you will not be overcome by them. You can have confidence. And so David is teaching the people that read this, uh, he's modeling to them what they are to say. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. I now have a relationship with you through my confession of sin, through my forgiveness of my sin, through my relationship with you that I have the sense of your protections, your guidance, your helping me through the storms of life. And so... God speaks, I think. I will instruct you and show you the way to go with my eye on you. I will give counsel. You know, scholars actually debate on this particular verse. It's verse 8. 
Uh, I've seen it 50-50 where uh, they'll say it's God speaking or it's David speaking. I guess it's not real clear. I actually like to think that it's in David's relationship with God. He heard God say, I will instruct you and show you the way to go. I will give counsel to you. And David is teaching that one of the lessons that we need to learn is to listen to God to hear his voice through his written word, to have the kind of relationship with him that he directs our path, that he teaches us, that he shows us the way to go. Don't be like David in waiting too long for that. Don't be like David in having to get caught as opposed to willingly confess it. The next verse is so interesting. It says, do not be a horse or a mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle. What's he referring to there? You know, I've never had a horse or a mule, uh, but I do have a dog. And... um, I, we moved a couple of months ago to a new place, and my dog was pretty excited about exploring the neighborhood. Uh, you know, great new place to explore. Uh, and then I got a letter in the mail from the HOA saying, you need to have your dog on a leash. Okay. So we made arrangements for uh, a company to come out. We had an invisible fence in there, but we didn't know where it was located. So you got to put the flags in, okay? Uh, And so we put all the flags up. You know, dog, you're not going to roam the neighborhood anymore. You're going to stick within this parameter, this boundary of flags. But guess what? My dog won't even come out of the house now. I think she's too scared of the flags or she's too scared of being shocked, you know. Uh, And so for me to get her out of the house, I actually have to put a leash on her and take her out and walk the neighborhood. We're we're working on it. Uh, Soon she'll be able to run around inside the boundaries that are given in our, um, our property. And he's saying here, don't be like that. Don't be like David. You know how David's sin came out? Nathan confronted him. Nathan put a a collar on him and a leash and yanked him like a horse or a mule and said, hey, buddy, you are the one that have sinned. David said, that's the lesson I learned. Don't be like that. Have the kind of relationship with the Lord that you willingly and freely Confess your sin. Verse 10, many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surround him. Would you rather drag around all your sorrow? Or would you rather be surrounded by the Lord's faithful love, hesed, covenant love, a love where he has a relationship with you such that he will help you through whatever you're dealing with. The wicked don't have that kind of relationship because they don't trust in the Lord. They don't believe in his faithful love surrounding him. And so they have many pains without any of God's help. Verse 11, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous one. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. Ecstatic. Now, of course, we should be glad because God has redeemed us, not only 
the first time when we came to faith in Christ and asked him to forgive us our sins and were credited with righteousness. But each and every day as we confess and begin anew this life that we have in Christ, we're glad and we rejoice. Now, as I wrap things up here in this sermon, let me ask you, have you learned these lessons? Are you regularly acknowledging your sins? Is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Are you confessing it to God? Are you open to him in prayer? Are you experiencing his forgiveness and joy in your life as a result of being forgiven? If not, why not? Are you sharing it with others? You know, true Christian community is where we can talk about the reality of our struggles, right? And in some contexts, talk about the reality of our sin. You're not part of a Christian community where you can share that struggle or that sin. No, it's hard. But there's so much blessing that comes as you connect um, maybe a small group of men or a small group of women, you know, people that you might consider close confidants. Let them into your life. Are you depending on the Lord to instruct you and guide you? Are you? Do you have the kind of relationship with the Lord where he's your hiding place, your protection, the one who shows you where to go? And are you experiencing the joy of being forgiven? And as we come to the Lord's table, I'm reminded of a song that um, we used to sing years ago in a church before I came here. I was part of a church where they actually sang scripture songs. Uh, and so while I was reading Psalm 32, I was reminded of that particular tune. I won't sing it to you. I thought about asking Susie to come up and sing it, but I don't think I'll do that to her. Um, but it's based on these words. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity in whose spirit there is no deceit. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. In the beginning of my sermon, I mentioned Jesus' words about the woman who was forgiven much. It says her sins were many. Jesus said she loved much. The individual who thought of himself or herself sinned little, loves little. As we go to the Lord's Supper, I just think it's just a wonderful time to celebrate with joy the forgiveness that we have in Christ. To love much what he has done for us. Let's take a moment of silence, ponder this passage, and prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. <clears throat>